You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. First Corinthians chapter 13. Everybody say love. love. Look at verse 4. This is the famous passage about love. It is in the book of First Corinthians, since we're going over the, the book of Corinthians. Thought this passage would be a really cool one to study. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. You've heard this before. Listen to it. It's, it's awesome. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you for, for the gift of love that, that, God, one of your attributes is love. And you've given us this great gift that we might know you, we might know each other through just loving each other and being gracious and kind. And God, I thank you for this gift that you've poured out to, to the church, to the mill, to Mill Sunday School, to all of us in here that we can experience you uh, in this deep, intimate way through love. And God, as we study love today, I ask that you will open our hearts and minds. Let us understand this gift. Let us understand who you are and let us glorify you with it. We pray this in your name. And everybody screamed? Amen. Amen. This uh, gangster girl tapped me on the shoulder and said, do you believe in love at first sight? I was on this bus because in, in high school, I lived like way out in the country, like way out. And uh, it was about an hour to school, an hour back when I was a sophomore. And uh, I'd take the bus. And in fact, it wasn't even a bus. It was the, because not that many kids lived way out where I lived. And so it was a van that, that came and picked me up for school. It was not a short bus. It was a van. And uh, it was like five of us that read, rode this bus or a little van and uh, wait to live way out. And I would just kind of keep to myself. I'd put on my headphones and listen to my tapes and, and just kind of keep to myself. This was back in the day, you know, because uh, I'm old. And, um, and there was these two girls that would get on the bus, and they were like gangsta girls. And they're like over the top. They wanted to be known as the gangsta girls. And so they'd always get on the bus, and they'd just start arguing back and forth every single day. And even if my headphones were on and the volume was full blast, I'd still hear them like, oh no girl, no you didn't, talk to the hand, oh don't be disrespecting me, put that hand down, I'm gonna slap it down girl, and uh, they just always, I mean they just pick a topic and they just argue about it for the hour we went to school, and uh, it was brutal, and one day they were arguing about love at first sight, whether or not love at first sight is, if someone can, if that happens. And one girl was like, oh, yes, it does. I got this girlfriend cousin that found this guy, and then they've been together three months. You, can, you can't tell me that I'd lay in love at first sight. And I was like, no, girl, that's lust at first sight. <laughs> and they're just going back and forth for, for the whole bus ride. And what would usually happen in their conversations is they would get to an argument, kind of get to a stalemate, and then they would tap me on the shoulder and I'd be like, what? <laughs> and they'd, t- they'd both rehash their arguments, and then I would get to decide which, which one is correct. It was awesome. I, could still, I still hear the voices sometimes of these girls, like, ah. And uh, <laughs> they tapped me on the shoulder, and one of them said, do you believe in love at first sight? And I was like, what? And, uh, I, <laughs> and they just started telling me, like, one girl said, oh, yes, it happens all the time. And one girl was like, no, it doesn't. It's not possible. And I think that's a good question. As we study love, 
um, it's a good implication question because you really have to define, okay, what is love? And is it possible to love someone when you first see them? Um, or is it, is it not? Is, is that something else? And so before I tell you what I told the girls on the bus, because I, I had just been a Christian and I, I, had, I had learned, um, I'd heard a passage of, of uh, I heard my youth pastor speak on this passage actually way back in the day. It was one of the, uh, one of the first sermons I heard. And he talked about the love of God, how the love of God is different than human love. And he really defined love. I still remember that, that sermon from a long time ago. I had something to say to these girls, the gangster girls that were arguing about love at first sight. Um, but I want you to think about it for just a second. I know it's still early. Probably haven't had your cup of coffee yet. But um, turn to some people around you and just discuss it. Is love at first sight, is that real? Is that possible to love someone at first sight? And by the way, there's no, there's, it's not like the Bible says thou shall not love at first sight. So you can argue either side. I'm not trying to trick you. So talk about it really quick. Ready, get set, Go. I'll give you like another minute to wrap up. All right, let's let's take a vote. Let's find out how. So we're gonna vote. Do you believe in love at first sight, or do you not believe? that love can happen at first sight. So, how many of you, and you have to pick. You can't be like, I don't know. You have to pick one. How many of you believe in love at first sight? Yes, it happens. Yes, love at first sight. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you for voting. Yeah. How many of you do not believe in love at first sight? Oh, really? Nobody? It's like everybody else. Well, here's what I said. Uh, There's lots of different ways to answer the question. Um, but here's what I said to the gangsta girls that asked me that question on the, on the van that, that morning. I said, um, I, I said, I do believe in love at first sight. And, I, and, and so I had to define and talk about what uh, I was saying. Because I said, love, the definition of love as talked about in the Bible, and we're going to look at that today, is very much love is a choice. It is, it is not just a feeling that you, a romantic feeling like in the movies, but it is an active uh, grace in showing charity and um, being kind to someone, and it's a choice. And so I said, 
since love is a choice, you can choose to love someone when you first see them. You could choose, it's a choice to be kind to them. Um, and of course, and then, you know, the, the opposite of that is, oh, no, I was talking about the romantic kind of love. You tricked me. It's like, no, I'm not trying to trick you. I'm just saying that there's different, and we're going to talk about the different types of love today. But I think of like a parent having a child, and you just love the child when, you, when he's first born. You see the child, and you're just, you love the child, and love at first sight in some senses. So is that okay with everybody? It's at least to see where I'm coming from in that. And that, like if a middle school girl was like, hey, I met this guy. I think we're going to get married. It's love at first sight. I'd be like, hold on. I don't know if I believe in love at first sight anymore. <laughs> but, uh, but at least, so we're going to talk about this passage today. We're going to define love and continue to think about this question. And you, and you can feel free to argue just about the love at first sight thing and how you see that. That's totally fine. But we are studying this month the book of First and Second Corinthians, talking a lot about the background and the context. We're going to continue doing that today. All of today, we're going to look at this whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and study it. Uh, we've been studying some of the background of Corinth and why Paul said to, uh, warnings against false teachers. Paul gave warnings against uh, dis- disunity amongst uh, when you have communion or when you come together. And next week, we're going to talk about women in ministry. And because Paul says pretty clearly, women must be silent in the church. And, and yet we don't obey that verse that says that. And so we're going to talk about why we don't. And so that's next week. It should be fun, interesting conversations. And um, so uh, this passage, we'll get into that today. But first, some announcements. One of the coolest things we do all year long is called the Millfall Retreat. How many of you went last year? How many of you loved it last year? How many of you are going this year? It is, it is the event of the year. There's, so there's brochures, not little, little uh, flyers on all your tables. There's two weekends again because the camp can't hold us all. I think it's kind of fun to break it up into two weekends too because then you, could, you can go to both if you really wanted to. It'd be sweet. Um, some people did that last year. But think about Millfall Retreat. Ask, if you've never been, ask somebody that just raised their hand and, and they'll ask them, is it awesome? And they'll be like, yes, it was awesome. And, and you'll go to the Millfall Retreat. And it's, it's a really cool place to get to know other people. It's like a bunch of mill, like Friday night, like compacted. There's like three mills over the course of the weekend. We have fun and play games and eat good food and chill. There's lots of free time. So mill fall retreat, definitely think about it. Definitely just go if you're in in between going and not going, just go. And uh, so that's an announcement. If you're newish to the Mill Sunday School, we have uh, new first-timer cards on the table. You can fill that out. Give it to the nice people at the, the, at the main table in the back. They'll give you a CD for coming today. And uh, yeah, so those are your announcements. Are you ready to study this passage? This passage is, is probably the, as far as chapters and like sections of passages go, this is probably the second most all-time popular chapter in the Bible. I think the first would probably be Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And this passage, because it's read at weddings a lot, because mothers knit the passage, the verses, and then they hang it up in the bathroom for you to read, love is patient, love is kind. It's probably, it's anybody, I mean, it's the, it's the passage that's just read at weddings, and it's, it's a very popular passage. And so we're going to look, we're going to study this passage today. And as far as context and background goes, this passage is a perfect example of something called rhetoric. Have you heard of rhetoric before? It's this ancient way of, it's very Greek, this way of communicating. 
of forming arguments, of asking quite like a rhetorical question would be a, a question that you ask that doesn't really deserve an answer, but it's a type of, it's this, it's this way of communicating. It was, a, it was a way, an ancient way that was very formulaic, a very, uh, you'd use certain tools like repetition. Paul uses repetition. Love is kind. Love is uh, patient. It does not envy. It does not boast. It, does, it is not pride. So it's, it's very repetitive in this passage. And so that's an, uh, the, one of the tools of rhetoric. This type of, of passage, 1 Corinthians 13, falls under the heading of an enconium. It's a type of rhetoric. Rhetoric. I'll write that term down for all of you that like to take notes. Uh, maybe here-ish. Incomium. And that's, it's a type of rhetoric. It was a type of speech that gave glory, gave credit. It bragged about something, someone, an idea, a city. Like, so let's say it's someone's birthday and it was ancient Corinth. You might hire a rhetorician, someone that's like very poetic and a very good communicator, and you might hire them to talk good about whoever it is whose birthday it is. And then they would give this speech about how great this person is and what they've done in the community, etc., etc. And, and so this type of speech, uh, this type of language is a type of rhetoric called an enconium. And so this passage on love is just brags about love, defines love, and, and so it falls into that category. I think the only thing that we have that's kind of similar to this type of speech is, is a toast, maybe. Like when you toast someone or something, you're saying a bunch of good things about the thing or the person, right? And so like at a wedding, if you go to a wedding and someone toasts the bride and groom, you know, they always start off, hold the glass, like, Jim, Janet, Wow. Never thought this day would come. It seemed just like yesterday that fill in the blank. You know, it's just all the, spe- you know, they kind of sound the same, right? And so, and, and what you're supposed to do in a toast is just to brag about this couple, you know, to, to say really good things about them. And everybody's like, oh, they're so, you know, they're so good together. And you just, you just talk about them. You brag about how great they are. That's what a wedding toast is supposed to be, Right? And so if you ever need help writing one, come t- talk to me. I have this whole thing. Because um, I, I just, like when you do a wedding toast and you just say a bunch of bad things about the person and make fun of them and everybody's laughing, like that doesn't count. That's not a, don't do that. Anyways, um, <clears throat> uh, so this type of speech. So this falls into the genre. This First Corinthians 13 falls into the genre of being a rhetoric, this type of rhetoric called enconium. And so it's all about love. The word for love in Greek is what? That's used here, agape, correct. It is used ten times in this passage. And um, the word agape, we know it as this really important word in the Bible that defines agape as love, that's the kind of love that's, that God loves us with. And there's other types of love as well. And sometimes as... as believers, you know, how many of you, for instance, how many of you have heard of the word agape before, this Greek word? Lots of us have. We use a lot. We know what it means because, because it's defined for us in 1 Corinthians 13. But what I want to say here is it might surprise you that, that this, this Greek word agape um, didn't mean what it means 
Now, I mean, nowadays we'd say, oh, agape is this God love. It's this really Im- big word. It's like gift love. It's like the most important thing. Uh, it's the, the greatest type of love is agape love. But in the ancient Greek, the secular ancient Greek, that word, agape, really didn't have that meaning. And so let me read for you. This is a quote out of uh, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. I have a bunch of these books. There's like 10 of them in a series. And it goes over tons of Greek words that are used in the Bible. And has like, like for instance, the word agape. There's like 40 pages just about the Greek word agape. So it's not just a dictionary. It's, it kind of talks about where we get the word and what different meanings of the word. And so here's what it says. The word agape in the secular Greek. So this is just ancient Corinth, how people would use it in the streets. Uh, the secular Greek finds nothing of the power or magic of these other Greek words, a phileo, eros. Um, its etymology is uncertain. We're not cert- sure where the word agape came from. Its meaning was weak and variable. Often it meant no more than to be satisfied with something. Often it means to receive or to greet or to honor in terms of external uh, attitude. It relates more to an inward attitude and its meaning uh, of something, seeking after something or desiring someone or something. And so Paul takes this word, agape, which was kind of all over the place, kind of like our word for love, right? Like we could say, I love pizza, I love God. (laughs) You know, it's the same word. Like, well, there's probably a difference there. Um, And so Paul takes this Greek word agape. It's the same word, by the way, that Jesus uses when he says love one another. The the sweet quote of the day today is uh, a quote from Jesus on the back of your skillet. We always have sweet quotes. And the quote comes from John 13, 34, where Jesus says, you know, you've heard all these commandments. I give you a new commandment. Love others as I have loved you. And Jesus uses this word agape. Agape one another as I have agaped you. And and Paul takes this. Paul jumps on this word and writes this beautiful uh, speech, poem about what love is that will change the course of history as far as Christians are concerned and using this word agape. He takes this normal, everyday kind of Greek word and defines it so well in this passage that nowadays, you know, all of us that raised our hand, we know what agape means because of this passage. And so there's, there's this book called The Four Loves. Has anyone read it by C.S. Lewis? It's called The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. And he, he says that there's, in the Greek, there's four words. There's storge, uh, phileo, eros, and agape. And he says there's, there's differences in how these terms are used in the Bible and how they're defined. And he says that storge is the kind of love that's family affection. So you, like, you love your brother, you love your, your mom. So it's like a family connection. Uh, so that's storge. There's phileo, which is what, you know? The friendship kind of love. And so it's just like, oh yeah, you and your friends are, you know, that you love each other and you're close with your friends, your peeps. Uh, it's phileo. And then there's romantic love. Do you know what that one is? Eros is the, is the romantic kind of love. And then finally, C.S. Lewis goes into this whole description, uses his whole book to talk about this God love, this gift love. He says there's, there's need love and there's gift love. And all the other types of love fall into this need love. Like we are in it for like this... I need something from you kind of relationship. But agape is truly a gift love, as Paul defines it here. And C.S. Lewis writes, goes on and on about this passage being the definition of agape, this word that Paul takes and then defines and writes this beautiful poem about to define love. Agape is this gift love, this God type of love, a very attribute of God is agape. So let's look at the passage. 
We're going to study this whole chapter today, 1 Corinthians 13. And so turn to it, open it up. If you have, uh, if it's your own Bible, you can write in it and underline important things. That's what I do. I, I find that that's very helpful as I study a passage. And we're going to study this passage. So 1 Corinthians 13, uh, starting in verse 1. I'm actually going to start in the verse right before it because it says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. Kind of sounds like a Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, doesn't it? Excellent. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my my body to the flame, but have not love, I gain nothing. And he starts off this passage talking about the gift of tongues. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men, which I assume is just like regular languages, or if I speak in the tongues of angels, the spiritual language, a language that is spoken amongst angels. Um, And so he talks about the gift of tongues and then says, if I do those things, if I speak in tongues, but I don't have love, then it's like I'm a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. And the Greek here is like this endless just noise. Have you ever heard like a kid get some drumsticks and just start beating the drum? I mean, it's only like 30 seconds that you can handle. And you're just like, okay, okay. It sounds horrible, right? And so that, if you're speaking in tongues and are just speaking in the, the, even with your own language, you're making nice speeches is what I think this passage is talking about, but you don't have the gift of love, then it's just like noise is coming out of your mouth. And he goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy, and he says, if I have the gift of prophecy, but don't have love, then he says, I am nothing. And so in the greater context of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13 falls in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He talks about prophecy in tongues and interpreting tongues and uh, the gifts of healing. And so he's comparing all these gifts, and he says, if you have all these great gifts, who cares if you don't have love? If you have the gift of prophecy, the gift of speaking in tongues, but you don't have love, you're nothing. That's what Paul says. He says, I'm nothing if I have all these great gifts, if I don't have love. I was in this meeting uh, not too long ago where, where the, uh, the leader was where we were talking about the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, and it goes through the list of the gifts. It's one of the places in the Bible where it lists out some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like prophecy, tongues, uh, healing, uh, gifts of discernment, words of knowledge, or some of these gifts. And uh, he had us write down which gift we were interested in. It's like, what gift interests you? Write it down on a piece of paper. And so we all wrote a gift down, and then we turned the paper in. And then I felt as though he kind of tricked us because he was like, okay, now you're going to practice that gift that you just said you were interested in. And I was like, oh gosh, oh gosh. <laughs> and he said, like, who, who wrote down a gift of healing? Come on up here, let's pray for healing. And we were, we were all Christians. But even he said, I- I'm going to force you to, to do the gifts right now. And then he said, like, who? And so people prayed for healings up there. And he said, who wrote down the gift of tongues? Come on, who wrote it down? Uh, and then no one came up, and he said, you're all a chickens. And uh, he just, what he was trying to, I mean, he had a good heart about it. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to force us to do these gifts. And I just left the meeting feeling like, man, I'm not as, because some people were just all about it. Like, oh, this is awesome. You know, we got to 
do the gifts and interpret and uh, gift of tongues. And that wasn't that awesome. And, and I just thought, I, to me, it was just like, it was so forced. And, and I, I just kind of, you know, just like, man, I kind of felt spiritually beat up a little bit. Like, man, everybody else is, you know, down with all these great gifts. And I, I just felt uncomfortable. And I kind of felt spiritually beat up uh, after that meeting and called a chicken. And it just wasn't a very good, I just had a bad taste in my mouth for the gifts af- after this meeting. And, and, but I was encouraged when I, as I s- thought about this passage and I thought, who cares if you have these great gifts? Love is so much more better than the gifts of the Spirit, such as their tongues and prophecy and healings. I was so encouraged by, I, I, maybe I have the gift of love. I could, I could love someone, and that's so much better. That's such a huge, it's, it's a gift that is so much better than the gift of tongues or prophecy. Because Paul says, uh, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries, but I have not love, I, I am nothing. And so it's like, it's almost like, you know, if you wanted to compare two Christians, I don't think it, the Bible or that God really warrants, you know, you to compare yourself with someone else. But for the purpose of the illustration, let's say there's two Christians in a ring, you know, comparing each other. Who's the best Christian here? And like one Christian has all these gifts of the Spirit. They could prophesy and they've made prophecies that have come true. It's like, wow, they're so cool. And they've prayed for miracles and maybe somebody got healed and they could speak in tongues and interpret tongues. And, and so they're in this corner, but they don't really have the gift of love. They're not very nice. They're kind of ornery and mean and say mean things. And so here's this one Christian. And then on the other corner, if you're comparing these two Christians, is a Christian that's never spoken in tongues, never prophesied, never prayed for a healing. But they're really nice. They're full of love. They're full of compassion. They're very generous. Uh, Which Christian is the better Christian? The one that has love. The one that's nice. The one that gives and is selfless. That's the better Christian. That's the one that has more gifts, is the Christian that has the gift of love. And so, like last, last month, we talked in the Mill Sunday School about the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, you could listen to it on podcast later. We talked a whole Sunday about the gift of tongues. And I imagine that there's some of us in here, uh, maybe you left and you just thought, man, I don't have that gift. Everybody else must have that. I must be a less than Christian. It's like, no, are you kidding me? This passage comes, 1 Corinthians comes in the context of the spiritual gifts in chapter 12. It comes in the context of chapter 14, where he talks about the gift of tongues. And he prefaces, he he wraps all these gift talks uh, about love. And he says, love is the most important gift. All other gifts are nothing when compared with love. If I have the gift of prophecy, he says, if I could fathom all mysteries. And then he says, if I have all knowledge... The Greek word for knowledge is uh, gnosis. And there was this Gnostic movement that uh, was popular in the ancient world. At ancient Rome, a secular world, this, this religion called Gnosticism, this, this following of knowledge, is secret knowledge. And they would get together and have secret seances and secret meetings. It was kind of like a secret cult. And you would learn knowledge and mysteries. And you would, you know, I imagine pull out some candles and, and, and just have a seance and learn spiritual things, uh, spiritual gnosis, this knowledge. And, and Paul says, who cares if you could fathom all mysteries? Who cares if you have all this knowledge, whether it's spiritual knowledge or earthly knowledge? Who cares? And he says this, the statement that, that Jesus says, a faith 
of, of a mustard seed can move a mountain. He's quoting this idea of Jesus and says, if you have a faith that can move a mountain, just pause and think about that for a second. Like, really? Like, if you had the faith that could move a mountain, like if you had a faith that you could just see miracles, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. And so you see Paul's, Paul's making this great comparison with all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and love, which is also a gift of the Holy Spirit. Love is the best. And then verse 3 says, if I give all I possess to the poor. And so Jesus at one point, you know, turns to this rich young ruler and, and says, you need to give away everything you have to the poor to follow me. And the rich young ruler said, uh, no, he's left unhappy because he couldn't do that. He, was, he had this greed in his heart. And so if you imagine someone that has given everything they have to the poor, and then the next verse is, they've surrendered the bodies to the flames, which is this reference to martyrdom. And in the ancient world, it was a very real idea that someone could come in, a Roman authority could come into Corinth, find people meeting in a church as Christians, and execute them, take them to the flames, take them to the Colosseum, and execute them for not, be, for not following Caesar as God. Because in the Roman world, Caesar wasn't just the emperor. Caesar wasn't just the king. He was believed to be divine. And if you didn't believe that, if you didn't burn incense and pay your respects to Caesar as God, then it was an act of treason and you could be martyred. And so here in this passage, Paul's saying, if you give your body to the flames, if you're martyred, and if, you, if you've given all you have to the poor and you're martyred, but you don't have love, what do you gain? nothing. That's how important love is. And so in this speech, Paul is saying, he's comparing it with other gifts, he's comparing it with martyrdom, and he's saying love is so much more important than any of those things. Let's look at the the next part of the passage. Starting in verse 4, it's the passage we read today where Paul defines love. It's patient, it's kind. It doesn't envy, doesn't boast. It's not proud or rude or self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. And it protects, and it trusts, and it perseveres. He's defining love. He's defining agape for all of the world to know what true love is. And I imagine in our world, you know, we we have a lot of uh, misconceptions about what love is. And I imagine the Corinthians had a lot of misconceptions about what love is as well. How many of you heard last week when we talked about the, the world of ancient world of Corinth. We talked about how it was a port city, east-west, north-south. There's a lot of travelers there. There was this mountain, more of a hill, really. It was only 2,000 feet. Since we're in Colorado, we could call that a hill. And uh, there's this hill that overlooked the city. And on top of the hill was uh, the temple to the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And in that temple, there was thousands of temple prostitutes that would service the city and all these ports and sailors and travelers. And to pay your respects to the goddess of love, you would sleep with a prostitute. So how messed up is this city where there's so many prostitutes and people went there and imagine they had the ancient Greek saying, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. (laughs) It was a bad city as far as prostitution and this dis disarray of what love really meant. And I made a joke last week, you'll have to podcast it, uh, of um, if the Corinthian church had a baseball team, their mascot would be, you know. Anyways, uh, 
And, and we talked about how Plato, you know, the ancient world in Greece, call, had once referred to a prostitute as a Corinthian girl. It was slang for a prostitute. So how bad is this city's... Um, they were just messed up when it came to what is love and this temple that overlooked them day and night. You know, you look on this hill and see this temple to Aphrodite and to pay your respects to the goddess of love, you would sleep with a prostitute. And so how messed up is that? And so Paul says, love is patient. You think love has anything to do with sleeping with a prostitute? Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. You see that temple on the top of that mountain? You think that's love? No. Love is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. He's defining love for this city that really needs a definition of love because it was so messed up. And so here we have the definition of love, verses 4 through 7. And, and this, is the, this is the passage that it's, it uses rhetoric. It uses this, this flow of arguments, and it uses repetition. And it's just so wonderfully written. And then Paul gets to verse 8. And he's going to kind of conclude with what love is and compare it to uh, what is eternal. And I'll read it for you. Starting in verse 8, it says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Here he is comparing it again with other gifts of the Spirit. He says, Where there's tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes... And I see this, many scholars see this as he's talking about heaven. When the true perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, this is an awesome, this visual image of like what, what life is. Now we see, but a poor f- reflection as in a mirror. But then, and I, I assume he's still talking about in heaven, Then, when the perfection comes, then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We'll talk about that in a minute. And and he says, he's wrapping up, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Out of faith and and hope, love is, is the greatest. And this passage is often a passage, we talked about this last month when we were talking about what is charismatic versus non-charismatic. And we have lots of brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, of other churches that, that use this passage and say, maybe the gifts of the Holy Spirit have, have stopped because it says love never fails, but where there's prophecies, they will cease. Where there's tongues, they will be stilled. And they'll say, you know, where the prophecies, gift of tongues, gift of healings, they'll say, Oh, that ceased at some point in the past, like maybe when the Bible was was completed and uh, totally written. The gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. They're called cessationalist, saying that the gifts have have stopped. And I would disagree with that as a charismatic, as a new lifer. I would say, you know, they're my Christian brothers and sisters, um, but I would disagree with them. But, But hold hands in unity and say, yes, love is the greatest of all gifts. When tongues are compared with love, when prophecy is compared to love, tongues and prophecy are nothing compared to love. And, and so this passage, I, I, would, I would disagree and say this passage is just talking about when, when the perfection comes, when, when we're in heaven and, and when we're in face-to-face with God, there'll be no need for prophecy. Imagine you're in heaven. God's like right there. Why would I go talk to you and ask you, what do you think God's saying? Would you prophesy? It's like, are you kidding me? Go ask him. 
He's right there. Why would you come and ask me what you think I think he's saying? Ask him what he's saying. He's right there. There's no need for the gift of prophecy. Prophecy will, uh, he says that where, where there are prophecies, they will cease. And, and, so, and then it says where, where there's knowledge, it will pass away. It's like all the, all the things that we think we know, we, the, all the things that you know, will come into this knowledge. He goes on to say, we will, uh, verse 12, it says, I know in part... Then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. So God knows us fully, right? In heaven, when the perfection comes, we will know fully as we are fully known. Pretty sweet, don't you think? I think so. be awesome. Um, and then he goes into this, when I was a child, I, I talked like a child, but when perfection comes, put away childish things, but what remains is love. Love never fails. It is something that is going to be eternal. It is something that, that will never end. Because love, God is love. There's a verse that says that. A very attribute of our creator is love. And this passage um, just says that over and again. It defines love, compares love with other things, and says love is the greatest. And then this last part says it will never fail. And I really like this, this, the face-to-face thing. It says, uh, where is that exactly? Let's see. It is in, uh, uh, let's talk amongst yourself while I find it. Uh, oh, there it is. Verse 12, sorry. Uh, it says, verse 12 starts off with, Now I see uh, but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face-to-face. And the Greek here is the exact same Greek fa- phrase as used in the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament that P- Paul probably had in his hands when he was writing this when it came to uh, Moses and God speaking face to face. That phrase. Let me read it for you. It's, it's, it's found in uh, Exodus 33, starting in verse 7. Listen to the story about Moses and God speaking face to face. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent, pitch it outside of camp some distance away, and he called it the tent of meeting. Be a pretty sweet tent, but he got it at REI. <laughs> well, listen to what it says. This is this is awesome. Anyone acquiring of the Lord would go to the tent meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went in, a pillar, the pillar of the cloud, would come down and stay at the entrance. That must have been an awesome sight. And, and while the Lord spoke with Moses, so they're just chilling in the tent. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cl- cloud standing at the entrance, they stood, uh, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance of his own tent. And verse 11 says, And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. That's pretty awesome. And, and, God, and Paul is saying here that, that when the perfection comes, when, maybe when all else has failed, when, when our bodies have died, and maybe the earth has passed away, we are going to be speaking, we, are gonna, we shall see face to face, and we will know fully as we are fully known. So in heaven, some things are going to pass away. Bad things, evil things, even knowledge of what we think we know, it's going to pass away. But love never fails. Love is around forever. I used to, um, 
work at Pizza Hut right out when, I, when I graduated high school. I had this job at Pizza Hut, and I liked it. It was really the people that I worked with that were really cool. There was a bunch of Christians there. There was this, uh, these guys that were just wild. They were really cool. They were all in a band, and then they didn't make enough money in their band, so they all worked at Pizza Hut. And there was just a really cool group of people. And uh, the manager was this, this cool guy. He was really nice. He was probably somewhere in his 20s, kind of a young manager. And he, uh, if you looked at him, you wouldn't think, oh, here's a nice guy, the manager of pizza. If you looked at him, he was just covered in tattoos. He had like a lip piercing, a nose piercing, eyebrow piercings, like huge gauged earrings. And uh, always wore leather and like leather jacket that had like all these metal and spiked studs on them. Like this belt that had like spiked studs sticking out several inches. And of course, he had to like take off the earrings and stuff. It took like an hour <laughs> to to get ready for a shift every day. Uh, but then as soon as the shift was over, he'd go in the bathroom and put all his piercings back on, his leather jacket back on. And he was passionate about death metal and going to death metal concerts. And he'd drive anywhere, you know, to go to the, you know, for a weekend and go to a death metal concert. And what he loved was the mosh pit. Coming up in the front and, and moshing and he would tell me stories and kind of brag about it. And he said, man, it's awesome. You just kind of let yourself go. You just get into the music. And you're just like in the pit, man. And, and he'd, he'd talk about it and he'd say, you know, you're, you're just bumping up against people and you get mad and you get furious and you just kind of let it go. And if you want to punch somebody in the face, you just punch them and then they punch you. It's awesome. And he said, you know, people wear, you know, like, because he, he had spikes on his elbows. And he said, I'll go out there and just throw elbows, and it's awesome. And we're just all out there, and we're just letting our hate go. And I was like, isn't hate bad? <laughs> he was like, no, man, it's awesome. You just let yourself go. And you just get in there and throw elbows. And it's like, you ever get hurt? And he's like, oh, yeah, let me show you these scars I got from all these scars. And I was like, dude, that's not cool. And he's like, yeah, people have died in the pit. <laughs> I was like, all right. It just wasn't, you know, I was just like, all right, I kind of go to church. That's my hobby. And <laughs> and he had, and, and he was kind of telling me, like, about hate. And he was, like, letting hate go. And at one point he said, you know, hate is the, is the world's emotion. It's so much stronger, so much better than any other emotion. And he said, it's so much better than love. And he kind of, t- he kind of shared with me something that, and I kind of took as, oh, I could see why you are the way you are. And he said, my parents uh, loved each other for a year or two, and they got married, and they had me, and then, and then they separated, and then they got divorced, and now they've, they hate each other. They hate each other. And so they were married and loved each other for a year and a half, two years, and then for the rest of his life, 20-plus years, they've hated each other. And he said, take that as an example, you know. You know, love just turns into hate. Hate is so much stronger than love. Hate lasts so much longer, was his point. He was like, you know, if you love someone, yeah, you love them for a little while, but then, you know, you move on. But if you really hate something or someone, like that emotion is, you know, much longer lasting than love. It's, hate is so much better than love, is what this, this guy was saying. And, I wish in the moment, I'm never really good like in an argument, like I'm never the guy you want to be like, yeah, Joe, come join in this argument because I never know what to say like in the moment. Like I'm more of a person like like, a, like five minutes after the argument, I'm like, man, I should have said that. It's like, your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never know what to say in, in the argument. 
Uh, so I didn't really, I just kind of listened to him, and I kind of just listened to his pain. Uh, but going back to that conversation, I thought, I should have said that love is lasts longer than hate. And I should have said, you know, I, I'm a Christian, I believe in the Bible, and I know you don't believe that stuff. Uh, um, but if you, if you believe in God, and you believe that God is love, like the, like the Bible says, and I don't know that that would even be a good place to start an argument with this guy about Christianity— but we believe in a God who is eternal, who, who has no beginning, has no end, and his attribute is love. And so when, when the world goes away, you know, at some point, I, wasn't like, I don't want to predict the end of the world or anything, but at some point, everything that's physical will maybe burn up, maybe will be no longer, um, and things will pass away. Things will get old, things will die. The world will pass away but God will never pass away. He has no beginning. He has no end. And since his very attribute is love, love is never ending. Love is eternal. And while on this earth it may seem like sometimes hate wins, the hate will pass away. Hate will, the hate will be no longer someday when the perfection comes, when heaven comes. Hate will end. Bad things will end. Tears will, will be wiped away. And love will will remain. And so hopefully this, this passage will come alive to you next time you hear it in a wedding. You won't just go, oh, I've heard this passage so many times. It's like this is the very passage that defines this word agape into what it is as we as Christians believe in love. And it defines it for us and talks about it as eternal, compares it with other gifts and says love is the most important gift. So let's pray this morning. Let's, let's thank God for this gift that he's given us. So Father, we do thank you. We, we worship you. God, we thank you that, that you are love. It is just who you are. God, we thank you for who you are and giving this gift to earth that we might have love, that we can show love, that we can feel love for one another and that it is the greatest of all gifts compared to faith, compared to hope, Compared to um, gifts of the Spirit, love is the greatest thing. And so, Father, we just, we think about that. We, we rest in that, knowing that if we have love, we have what is inside of you. We have one of your attributes. We have God living inside of us when we love and we show love and we give love. So, Father, we leave here excited to, to share who you are with others, to share our love with others. Father, we worship you. We praise you. And everybody said, Amen. All right, my friends. We're dismissing a little early. So leave slowly. Get another cup of coffee. Say hi. Throw out some high fives to some peeps around you. Show love to one another. Peace out.